you're going to need two things. You're going to need a Bible, which is under the seat in front of you if you don't have one. We're going to be in three major passages this morning as we kick off this year and launch 2012. Uh, Also, you're going to need the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door because as fill in the blank that I'm going to give you about halfway through the message. Now, you're going to think, oh my gosh, if that's the intro, we're never leaving. That is probably true. However, it is designed to where it's going to happen much later in the service, but there's a lot of lines to take notes on. And also remember, this message is going to be, like all our messages, podcasted online. Because when I get done with today, you're going to go, wow, there was an awful lot of stuff in there that I didn't catch. I need to hear it again. You probably do. And so make sure that you get those free podcasts online. All right. That way we can all stay together. All right. Let's do it. I entitled this morning's kickoff message, Faithfully Fickle and Faithfully Flawed. Um, There's one thing that we're incredibly faithful in, and that is being unfaithful. So we are clearly locked into this idea of kind of being all over the map. Um, Unfortunately, that concept is flawed. Uh, By its very design, something's going to break at some point. We can't continue to live the way that we are living. Some changes need to occur. However, let me also share with you this. Uh, I prayed about it this morning. I prayed about it last night with multiple different people. And what I prayed was for you in one particular area. There are some of you that are coming in and Satan has been all over your case about guilt and condemnation. There's two different ways to receive today's message because it's pretty straightforward and hardcore. You can either see it as the Holy Spirit's conviction, or you can allow the enemy to condemn you. Conviction and condemnation are two different things, but they feel very similar. What I do not want you to do is walk out of here not feeling hope for change, because this whole message is designed, this whole year is designed to help you bring about change in your life. There's no reason you should leave here without hope. There's no reason that you should allow, as Mike said, the condemnation, the guilt, to weigh on you. It's not necessary, but conviction is necessary if we need it, right? Some of us, the majority of us, me particularly need conviction in my life to make some changes. And so I am going to come to you as I do every week, very straightforward. Uh, I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm very honest with you at all times, both about my life and about things that we need to do. All right. So I'm going to do that as well today. Now, the Bible uses some form of the word faith, faith, faithfulness, faithful, over 450 times in Scripture. When the Bible duplicates something or says something more than once, you need to pay attention. When it says it 450 times, you're pretty sure it's a core issue, right? So, what do we need to know about faithfulness? What is it that... God is calling us to, what does faithfulness mean? And we could probably call this year something a little bit more flashy than the year of faithfulness. We could call it the year of getting stuff done. We could call it the year of not just talking about it, but doing it. I mean, we can call it all kinds of things, but the idea is following through on commitments, following through on promises, because that is the nature of God. Now, I need you to turn to the first passage with me. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. And the Bible's under the seats. It's page 975. 975, if you need to get there a little bit faster. 
Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. Many of us that have been uh, in the Christian life for some time or read our Bibles very often, we are familiar with this passage being the fruit of the Spirit passage, right? So we kind of go, oh, I know that one. All right. So let's talk about it for a moment because there seems to be a discrepancy between the nature of God and us. You go, well, obviously he's God. We're not. Ah, but when we hand our lives over to Christ, a couple things happen. One of those is that we say that he is our savior and our Lord. Lord means he's in charge. Now your life is not your own. Second thing is that he gives us a new heart and a new identity, and it says all things have become new, and we now share in the divine nature. So yes, we become children of God. That means we can be like him in those ways. So no, we do have a new nature. It is not just, oh, he's God, that Jesus Christ came here to lay down a tangible example on how we ought to live, and our lives don't look like that. That's the fact. So let's take a look, because Paul lays it out in Galatians pretty simply. He said this. Now, the works of the flesh are evident or obvious. Now, what are the works of the flesh? The works of the flesh means that if you took human nature unhindered and let it go, if you put it in a natural environment without any intercession by God, it's going to get ugly. And you go, well, I don't know if that's necessarily true. There's a lot of really good people out there that don't know Jesus. Well, first of all, America is loaded with a Christian hangover. We have had it bred into everything. We have trained people to be good people. That does not mean that wickedness is different internally. It means we act a certain way. Selfishness is human nature. And if you leave it unchecked, the way you can see it is start looking at people that have no accountability. How do they act? Well, you begin to see that a lot of times in the very wealthy that have only yes men around them. How do they act? You'll start seeing a lot of this stuff pour out. Why? Because they can. Many of us live good lives because we have to. Otherwise, we'll lose stuff that we like. That doesn't work. That doesn't mean we're good. It means we're somewhat intelligent, right? Paul said, now, the works, the natural human nature, that kind of stuff, is obvious. It's stuff like this. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, I warn you, Paul says, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we look at, oh, that's a big hit, right? All right. But the fruit of the Spirit is, meaning in contrast to that, a life that is possessed by the Holy Spirit, in controlled by the Holy Spirit, given over, surrendered to, doing things God's way, being immersed in his nature, being in Christ, however you want to say it, those things begin to produce naturally these types of outcomes. That's what fruit means. It's what a tree bears naturally if it's healthy. But the fruit of the Spirit are things like this. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness. There it is. Gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. All right, now faithfulness is listed in a gift passage, a fruit passage, a God passage. That means it's not natural to us. It is not natural for you to follow through on what you say. It is not natural for you to remain committed to the same person year after year. It is not natural to you to continue doing something that you don't want to do. That is not natural to you. It requires something else to help you do that. So there's a few things that we need to understand about faithfulness just to begin. Faithfulness is necessary to honor God. God is not honored in unfaithfulness. When we break our word, when we don't follow through on what we're saying, these things are dishonoring to the Lord. When we say we are committed to him and we do not live committed, that is dishonoring. So faithfulness is necessary to honor God. Faithfulness, however, is hard and needs to be trained. What we do not say is, oh, you just need to try harder. Some of us need to try harder. I get that. But at some point, trying harder isn't the answer. Training differently is the answer. We have to train and live different lives. And we'll be talking about it all year. And faithfulness is from the Holy Spirit. So we need to seek in the Lord reasons for it and power to carry through it. It's going to come from God. It's not just going to come from us. We can't dig it out somewhere. We have to find it in the Lord. Successful faithfulness is a mindset. We cannot live reactionary lives. Well, I'm just going to see whatever happens this week. I'm just kind of going to go with it. If you're going to go with it, you're going to end up in the wrong place. You have to be purposeful where you're going. And finally, faithfulness stems from an identity issue. Who is God? What is Jesus like? And what ought we to be? And what is our new nature? These things make sense. These are just kind of foundational concepts. Now, here's the problem with it all. The Bible's clear what a solid, healthy Christian life should look like. However, many of us don't reflect that, whatever that is. There's an inconsistency. We are so busy in our lives that the only type of Christian life we're leading is that which we can accidentally pick up in our spare time, of which we don't have much of. That's not a way to live. As a matter of fact, let me give you an example to make it real practical. We say we love our families, but we're never there for them. Well, either if you say you love them, where's, where's the backup? Where's the follow through? You're not even home. But you say that if somebody asks you, hey, do you love your family? Yeah, I do. You sure? We... Say that we're all fired up about Bridgeway and going to church and learning about God, but I don't ever see you here. I see you once every four weeks. I see you once every six weeks. You're rarely ever at church, but you love it, right? You talk about it. You brag about it to your friends. You have a great time with it, but I, I don't, I'm not seeing you here very often. You say that Jesus Christ is the most important person in your life, 
but we will not read his word and we don't talk to him. Something's not right. Something's broken along the way. And they're issues largely of maturity and faithfulness. A lot of faithfulness is just self-control of which we are lame. Yeah? We have to learn this year to say no to good things so we can say yes to right things. That's different. I mean, of course, there's a lot of good things to do. As a matter of fact, most of us, our lives are loaded, overloaded with good things. It's not like I'm assuming everybody's running around, you know, destroying and killing people. That's not what I'm assuming. I'm assuming, quite frankly, you have largely boring lives. I'm assuming that you're doing all kinds of nice stuff all over the place. But we're so busy, we're killing ourselves. Our inability to be faithful is detrimental to our strength to live. What does that mean? That sounds like a pretty convoluted sentence. Let me give you an example. Every time we bail out on a commitment, it makes it easier to bail out on it again. Okay? Think about it this way. If you are super busy at work and you tell your little daughter that you're going to take her on a date, she gets all dressed up, and you don't show because you work too late and forgot. And she's sitting on the front porch crushed. There's going to be all kinds of problems, right? And you're going to feel horrible about it. But next time, if you do it again, you'll go, you know what? We made it through it last time. If you do it again, you've already ruined her expectations. And so she probably won't even figure you're going to be home. So you don't need to bother showing up it starts a downhill fall when you first cheat on your spouse it's earth shattering how could i have done that but after a while it becomes normal because when we break our word we start to get used to it. That's the problem. Some of us would say, well, there's not a lot that I'm really committed to. I mean, I've, got, I've, I've done a really good job in my life trying to not tell anyone that I'm going to do anything because I don't want to disappoint anybody. I'm going to suggest to you that for the majority of us in this room, we have already signed up for five irrevocable commitments not all of us some of us only have two of the five but most of us have five commitments by which they cannot be violated and every other commitment you add has to find a way around those to fit into your life let me give you those right now number one god the vast majority of us call ourselves christians you cannot call yourself a christian and live however you want that doesn't work a Christian means like Christ. So there's a pattern of behavior you have to adhere to if you're going to call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ. You may say, I'm saved and I'm a sinner and I'm just messed up and I'm not a disciple of Christ barely at all. All right, I understand that. At least that's honest. But what we do is we pretend. 
But if you have given your life over to Christ and he is your Lord and your life is no longer your own and you're underneath this banner, then you have made a commitment that he gets to call the shots. That's a commitment that cannot be violated. Any other commitments you make cannot violate that one. God is always number one, always wins all the time. You already made that commitment before you, most of you walked in here. Second one, the first life that God ever gave you to manage was your own. Before you knew about your own siblings, before you understood your parents, before you had any friends, you had you to watch over. And you have a commitment because God gave you one life at least to steward. Therefore, you have a commitment to take care of yourself. Because God's watching you and figuring out how you're handling your own life. So let's play this simply. Let's say that we take your stats and throw them up on the screen and examine how you're, how you're handling yourself. Right? Let's put on how you're, ta- how you're using your time. Is there any built-in rest? Anything in there? Or are we driving ourselves insane? How are you eating? Is there any exercise whatsoever? Is there any peacefulness? Is there any time with the Lord, right? All this stuff, we can lay it all out. How are we taking care of ourselves? Because I'll tell you this, most of us treat ourselves incredibly poorly. And I get it. I've had to spend my whole life trying to figure out how to treat my body because I'm broken. I'm less healthy than most of you. Last night, 12.53 a.m., My body woke me up and I was in the bathroom with a panic attack. I couldn't even get back to sleep without meds. Why? Because I'm broken. I'm not right. I've always had to spend my life managing a broken system, a broken body. So I get it. I know what it's like. I know why I have to go to the gym just to remain sane. I know why I can't drink caffeine. I know why I can't eat too much sugar at night. I know all these things. I'm always having to manage my body. I get it. And there's times when I'm not faithful in that area. And guess what happens? Fall apart. Right? You guys, this is not a preaching at you. This is what we have to do. That's all. third thing some of us are married when you married your spouse there were spoken and unspoken promises that were made well i only vowed that no you didn't you committed to another person to be on their side to be their partner in life to help them walk through life and to help them thrive That's what you signed up for. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. And here's my frustration. Here's what drives me insane. In the church, we've allowed it to fall the lowest common denominator to this phrase. At least I didn't get divorced. When in the world has that been honoring to God? At least we didn't get divorced. No, no. Get that out of your vocabulary. You treating each other like garbage? That's not honoring to the Lord. You pretending that you're roommates, you actually hate each other, you don't want anything to do with each other, and you wish that it would just go away, so you tolerate each other, that's honoring to the Lord? At least we didn't get divorced. 
That didn't gain you any points. That's not marriage. Because marriage, according to a biblical standard, is a loving relationship. That's not loving. That's tolerating. That's different. It has to change. And your other commitments cannot violate that marriage relationship. Some of us have the gift of children. When you had a child, you chose to make a covenant and a promise that you would be that child's number one champion and life giver for the rest of their life. You do not get to violate that relationship. You made the choice to have kids. No, I didn't. That was an accident. When you had sex, you get the concept, yeah? It's a possibility. You don't get to get out of that. You don't get to say, well, you know what? Ministry really takes me away from my kids and it's not important what's going on. And, you know, I'm really serving this and I'm doing this and I'm really committed to this and I'm in three groups and I'm doing this. Meanwhile, your kids are at home all by themselves and they hate the church. Not okay. Some of us have a job. Now, not right now it's really hard and a lot of us don't. If you have a job, you signed up and you signed an unspoken contract with your employer, that as long as you're on that clock, you're working hard. You are not cheating them. You are not walking out on them. You are not using them, but you are working hard for them. The Bible says that Christians are hard workers. The example that's been set before us, like with Daniel, like with Joseph, these are great workers. Nehemiah, all these guys, they're excellent, hard workers. But notice that they're not allowed to have that commitment violate the prior commitments. You will add hundreds of thousands of commitments to those five. But those new commitments cannot violate the prior commitments. So you will say, well, you know what? I got to take the kids to soccer and then I got to go over here and then I got to go do this. And then I'm in this small group and I'm doing this ministry. Those are all other commitments that you've added in. And if they're violating those first initial five, we have a problem. We're having a really hard time following through on our commitments. And that's not the nature of God. Let me explain to you, in my opinion, why faithfulness is so awesome. Why it's such a blessing. What does faithfulness buy you? You go, well, that's kind of a weird thing. Why you're trying to like lure us into faithfulness? Listen, Jesus said, if you live like this, there'll be rewards in heaven. So clearly we are shockingly immature enough to be lured into stuff. Right? So if he did it, I'm going to do it. All right? What does faithfulness buy you? What if you are faithful? Is there any benefits to living faithfully? I would tell you there's thousands upon thousands of them. Let me give you a couple samples. Support network. When your life falls apart, if you've been faithful to your friends and family, you have them around you when you need them. If you have burned bridges, you're going to be alone. That's it. And you go, well, I don't know, you know what, my friends are a bunch of jerks and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so are you. So sometimes you see through the hard times and you don't just hop around and just only have the friends that are easy at the time. Sometimes when family makes you want to pull your hair out, you still stick through it with them and you forgive. Because one day when your life blows up, you need them. Don't burn those bridges. You've got to be faithful. And they'll be there for you. 
I believe that it buys us seniority at work and tenure. Because here's the gig. If you're young and moving around, you think you can keep getting a better job that'll pay you better, and you keep hopping and hopping and hopping and hopping, then the minute the economy crashes, you have no seniority and you'll get cut first. If you have been with a company for 35 years, they have a harder time justifying cutting you. Will they do it? Sometimes. But they have to justify it to their superiors. Why? Because you were faithful. And you stuck in there decade after decade. It goes into all sorts of things, even silly little things like insurance. I worked in the insurance industry. And there were people that would just hop around and get the latest, cheapest insurance. Then when they had a claim, they'd get cut. Why? No seniority. They weren't in the company, so the company's like, you're costing me money. You're out of here. Faithfulness matters. There were a lot of people when the economy was going really well, they kept refining and taking out the equity of their home to buy toys. Then the market drops, we spin upside down, and we lose our homes. There were others that were faithful that didn't refi for toys and just kept plugging away at their mortgage, never refied to get better and better and better and better and better stuff. While everyone else seemed to be getting a ton of stuff, they got nothing, but they were consistent. They have equity in their homes, and they're not upside down. Faithfulness matters. It pays off. Faithful people don't have to stress at night that their lies are going to catch up with them because they've never lied before. So they're not worried about, oh, I wonder who I told that story to and what if they figure it out and what are the. That's a lot of stress to hang on to. But the faithful people that stick with their word and don't lie don't worry about that. I've gone to a number of uh, wedding parties where they do the little gig where, hey, if you've been married for 30 years or more, you stand up and then you sit down if you've been married under the, right? Guess who stands up the longest? The faithful couple. 65 years married. Guess what? About 20 of those, they barely even liked each other. But they understand that real life means I'm married to another human being and we had to work through it. The faithful remain standing. There are people in your life that when your life blows up, you run to. They're considered the rocks in your life. And guess why? They're faithful. And you know they're immovable. You know you can go lean on them. You know you can ask them for help. You know you can go to them for advice. Why? Because they're faithful. They have earned your respect and your confidence. Faithfulness is really, really valuable. It's the faithful Christian that can say, I've been a Christian for 13 years, and then I, as a pastor, can see 13 years' growth in their life. Because here's normally what happens to us. We're all so fickle and unfaithful is that I go, how long have you been in the Lord? 23 years. And I can see about three years of growth. I don't know what in the world we've been doing for 20 years along the way, but we've taken time off and we're screwing around and I'm really fired up for the Lord for three weeks here. Then I take six months off and then I... The faithful Christian also gets to see God reveal himself in a different way because there's some things about the nature of God he only reveals over time. If we're in and then out and then really excited and then down in the dumps and then we give up our faith and we're doing... We don't see that side of God, but the faithful do. The faithful to honor God with their finances, 
can respond when God taps them on the shoulder. If we bring up this idea, there's people starving in Haiti, there's orphans starving in Uganda, and you know God is laying it on your heart to write them a check, and you look at your checkbook, and it's zero because you're in financial chaos. You can't respond, but the faithful can because they planned for that day. They planned for the day that they could respond when God says go. They didn't spend all their money on something else. They were faithful to the kingdom purposes. It's the faithful parents whose kids call them Christmas, Thanksgiving, and say, I just wanted to touch base with you. I was just hanging out with my brother um, for my birthday and my brother was talking about my mom and dad my mom's here and my brother who's eight years older than me said those are not just my parents those are my friends and i looked in his eyes and he's never meant anything more honestly in his life our mom and dad are friends why because they were faithful to us at all times so we back them up. We honor them. We watch over them. Never have I seen it so obvious as when I hung out this last week with the Hearst brothers. They have this, uh, this display out there. They're the guys from Mexico, our missionaries to Mexico. And I'm hanging out and I had lunch with them this week. And I was talking about the missions work they're doing down in Guadalajara. Now, let me remind you of their story because their story is everything about faithfulness. They graduate from Cal Poly with engineering degrees. They're 22 years old. This is four years ago because now they're 26. They have excellent degrees, can get a job pretty much anywhere. They're young, single guys, and they believe God called them to the mission field. Where? Mexico. Go down to Mexico City, and I got to tell you this. They don't look Mexican. I'm white. They're whiter than I am. They couldn't look less Mexican, right? They're called to Mexico. They go down to Mexico. Why? Because God asked them to. They go down in a partnership, not knowing fully what they're going to do. They go down and minister on the street in Mexico City. They write books about witnessing. They're out sharing with people. They're working with street kids. Then God calls them two years into that to go to Guadalajara and work with orphanages. So they go down into Guadalajara. Here's the most amazing part of the story in my mind, because I know human nature. They were told when they first got down there, they're never going to earn anybody's respect in Mexico being an outsider unless they know the language. But the guy that they hooked up with to talk about language said, if you just know a little bit, you don't earn any respect. You got to know it all. You got to be fluent. They don't know Spanish. So every day they quizzed each other and studied and studied and studied and they're still doing it. For year after year after year after year. Why? So they don't just know it, they own it. Why would 26-year-old men who could be doing anything else with their lives spend every day ministering to orphan children? And they earn the respect because when everyone else bails out, when every other orphanage goes upside down, when everyone else is screwing around, they're faithful 
And they're there to play basketball with them, to talk with them, to help them with their needs. And they have no title and flash down there. They don't have a big ministry. They can talk about it. They're serving in a volunteer status, and they've handled everything on their own. Instead of launching their own ministry, they've realized that right now they're in a learning phase, and when they launch it, they want it right. So they've been faithful to learn and train and learn and train. You tell me any other 22 to 26-year-old men that would do that. But everybody respects them down there because these gringos from the outside did it right in the mission field if you want to minister to native people of their location faithfulness speaks more than anything else are you going to stay when everyone else leaves unfortunately we have become a people of good intentions and no follow-through This year you're going to hear perhaps a lot of talk about Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3 is kind of like a proverb for the year, right? I'm just going to read two verses of it. It says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. The Bible lays it out simply. If we are unfaithful, eventually it's going to catch up with us and it's going to kill us. The fill in the blank in front of you is this. An unfaithful life leads to ruin. An unfaithful life leads to ruin. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1, page 151. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1, page 151. When God designed the Jewish people in the nation of Israel, he designed them as an example on how to live. And so he did extreme things to them to make a point about how his people ought to be. So a lot of what he taught them applies to us as Christians because we're his people too. And he laid down these heavy lines right at the beginning. They're just on the edge of the promised land, ready to walk in and take this amazing new possession called the promised land. And God says, I have some directives for you. Here's how I want you to live. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, Deuteronomy 7.1, that you are entering to take possession of it. And when he clears away many nations before you, and he lists them, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall not make a covenant with them, show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. What does this mean? Why are we even reading this? Because when God set up the nation and was ready to bless them, he laid down the law of this. I demand fidelity from the start, faithfulness from the start. You do not intermix with anybody else. You do not play games. I am not one God of many. I am it. I am not one commitment of many. I'm it. You live and die with me. I do not share you. Why? Look at the next piece. 
For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the other peoples who were on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than other peoples that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the promise that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love to those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And he repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. What does this mean? It means that the nation of Israel, just like the church of God, should be 100% devoted to him. Why? Because that's what he's like. So there's no way we're going to understand how to live faithfully until we understand the nature of God. So this is how we're breaking the year down. The first half of the year, we're studying the book of Hebrews. You heard me in the video. I've never taught it here before. It's way over my head. I feel the same way about that as I felt about Revelation. I don't know what it's all about. I don't have it figured out. I'm going to be wading through it along with you, but we're going to study it. We're not going to shy away from it. We're not going to back off. I will venture to say almost no one in this room has ever heard it preached from the pulpit because pastors avoid it like the plague. But we're going to walk through it. Why? Because we have to know what a faithful life looks like. And we're going to find that in Jesus. We're going to find that in the Lord. Then we switch over in the second half of the year. We immediately go practical. Corinthians, though I taught it in 2006, and although it was just on the radio, we're breaking it down further. It is practical. Do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. And it's going to get in everybody's business. Change is coming. How do we do this? How do we become faithful people when we're not? Well, we studied David for almost a whole year last time, and he gave us an insight. Turn with me to our last passage, Psalm 101. Psalm 101, a psalm of David, page 501 in the Bibles underneath the seats. Psalm 101. How does David do it? Well, he gives us some practical tools. Psalm 101, verse 1. He says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. I will ponder the way that it is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me, and I will know nothing of evil. The first thing we must do is win the war internally. We must become faithful people in our minds and in our hearts. If we lose the battle there, we're done. What does that mean? It means you have to be faithful in the tiny things, the things that nobody sees, and when you're alone. That's what it means. It means you have to be faithful when no one will hold you accountable for it. Secondly, this portion, verse 5. And whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless, he shall minister to me. 
No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all evildoers from the city of the Lord. What does that mean? It means at least two things. Number one, watch your influences. If you're around a bunch of people who are unfaithful, you're going to be unfaithful. There you go. If you got a bunch of buddies who hang out in the gym locker room and talk about how they were scamming on this chick, even though they're married and they're completely focused on how much they can get away with, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to entertain the thoughts and you're eventually going to slip. Watch your influences. If you're around people that are all about money, it's going to draw you into it. If you're around people that don't care about the things of the Lord, you're not going to care much longer. Second thing it absolutely means is you have to make some cuts and some changes. He said, I will cut this out of my life. I will enter this into my life. I will make some changes. Pretty practical. Let me close with these thoughts. Everybody know the parable of the talents? It's one of the most popular ones. Don't like it very much myself. Uh, here's how it goes. There's a couple different renditions. This one's in Matthew 25. And it says, and a super wealthy guy goes away on a long trip. And he calls three of his servants to him and entrusts his money to them. He wasn't giving them money. He was entrusting money to them that they might manage it and make money for him while he was gone. That was their job. So he grabs one guy. And depending on how good they were with money... And how good they were with business finance, he gave them different amounts. So he gave one five. Now, five talents, one commentary said a talent is worth five years wages. So that's 25 years of wages. So whatever that is. All right, you want to multiply that out? He gave him a huge amount of cash. He said, I want you to put this into play. I'm going to come back and I want to know what you did with it. Guy with two, same thing, gave one guy one. He's probably not awesome at this stuff, all right? But he gave it to him as well. It says, and then he was gone for a long time. Why is it important that he was gone for a long time? Because we can do anything for a short amount of time, right? We can pull the wool over our own eyes for a short amount of time, but eventually we hit a wall, right? We can all pretend, we can all try to be good and faithful, but eventually... Give us enough time, we eventually show ourselves. So he was gone for an extra long time to out them. He comes back and he says, hey, what'd you guys do with what I gave you? And the guy with five says, you know, it's pretty awesome because I doubled your money. Here you go. The guy with two says, I did the exact same thing. Great. And by the way, when he talks about them, there's no difference in language between the two. Whether they had five or two didn't matter. The master was equally pleased with both. The amount was not the important thing. Then the guy with one says, dude, I don't even understand you very much. I'm a little freaked out by you. And the whole idea of me working on your money, okay, whatever. I just kept what you gave me. Here you go. You can have it back. The master said, what's that? I gave you a job to do, but it wasn't a big deal to you because you don't understand me. At least you could have put it in the bank. That wouldn't have taken a whole lot of effort, would it? Could have put it in the bank, I would have earned a little bit of interest. At least that would have been somewhat responsible. So you could care less about my stuff. I get it. You're a worthless servant, get out of here. Right? We all know this story. And then we go, ooh, that's a bad ending. I'm probably that guy. (laughs) By the way, everyone thinks that. And truly, the story's probably about that guy. But here's where I want you to look at on that story. How many guys were there? Three. 
How many were unfaithful? One. How many were faithful? Two times the amount. Two-thirds of the guys were faithful. What did they get? What if we looked at the parable about the faithful guys? Here's the deal. It doesn't matter how much money they made because it wasn't their money. It matters what the master said. What did the master say? Man, you're it. That's what I wanted. Well done, good and faithful servant. It says you have been faithful with a little bit. A little bit. 25 years wages is a lot of it. And he's like, that's nothing. Check this out. Loads them all up because now they've demonstrated themselves to be responsible. And he said, come share in your master's happiness. I'm happy. And now I want you to be happy. That was the blessing of faithfulness. Two of them did that. Not one. Two of them did it. It's a different way of looking at it. Yeah. All right. Here's the thing. My dream for this year is that we become greater at following through on what we say we're going to do. My desire is that we cut out some things so we can say yes to the best things. And my prayer is that we begin to see the flood of blessings flow into our lives. From faithfulness that we live more peacefully, healthy, and focused on what God desires. I'm going to push the four, I call them the big four, this year. Areas that we need to grow in. I'll recap them for you. Number one, marriage and family. I already talked about marriage. Let me tell you what I mean about parenting. A lot of us are parenting through self-absorption. We're so caught up in our own drama, our children are in the way. I can't believe the kids are driving me crazy and they're doing, you know, uh, they're always needing something. Of course they're needing something. They're your children. I don't know, I probably can't even do this, you know, I can't even get to the gym because the kids are like, I need cereal. And... <laughs> yes, you have to feed them. <laughs> All this drama, well, I'm on the phone, stop bothering me. I, uh, we are not taking care of our commitments. Dads, you're barely there. Man, I put... My kids to bed five nights a week. I pray with them. I take them to school on my two days off. I pick them up and my kids feel like I'm never there. They're telling me all the time, dad, how come you're never here? How come you're always at work? I'm like, cause I have a job. If they think I'm not there and I'm there that much, what are they thinking when you're never there? Do you understand? It's already hard. Even if you're balanced, it's hard. But they can't feel neglected. They can't feel left over. That's not right. Number two, we're too busy to grow up in the Lord. We've logged all these years and nothing, no change. Seriously? I want to know that if you've been in Bridgeway for one year, your life is different. We change here. It's what we do. Change is uncomfortable and change will mess with your head and it will mess with your family. And that's a good thing. But we are too busy. This is the number one thing that's overwhelming to me this year, and I don't have an answer for it. Because our culture will not allow you to change and become less busy. I will tell you that, and I don't have an answer. I have ideas, and I'm studying and studying and studying to find out in God's word what we need to do. We'll talk about it. Number three, some of us need to cut out commitments in our lives and get focused on a big five. Some of us need to get involved. 
You've been in this church for years. You're not involved at all. You don't know these people. You come in, you sit down, you learn, you walk away. That's not church. Some of us need to get in a small group. Some of us need to start learning to serve. Some of us need to volunteer. Some of us are too committed. Be careful. Finally, number four. Our giving is absolutely erratic. Everything's going great right now. Things are fine. You guys, I'm not concerned about money. I'm not here to dig up money because it's not about how much money the church has. It has the fact that the most time I ask you and say, hey, are you able to give in your life to anything? The answer is no, man, we're broke. Why? Why? Why is giving not important? And I don't care whether it's giving here or giving somewhere else. We're going to talk about that. I'm talking about giving to the Lord. I'm not worried about the money necessarily here. I'm talking about you and your own maturity and discipleship before the Lord. That concerns me. I don't even know who gives in this church. I let Russ take care of that. I keep my mind completely out of it. But you know what I care about? I care about that God owns every piece of your life. And the one that bothers me the most is all these amazing hearts in this church that want to give really bad and they can't because there's too much financial chaos. That's not right. Listen, we have the ability this year to grab hold of these big four challenges and change it. We have resources for you this year for your marriage, resources for your personal finance, resources on how to handle busyness, resources. It's all getting loaded into this year. Why? Because we will equip you to change. And that means I have to change too. I don't like it any more than you do. I'm already trying really hard. So I guess I got to learn a different way to live, huh? Let's close with prayer. And I have the closing challenge for you. Heavenly Father, we submit ourselves into your hands and we ask, Lord, that you would fill us full of hope, anticipation, excitement, and expectation on what you're going to do. That this year would be a year to watch you change things. Not a year of being tired, but a year of being purposeful. We offer up our lives to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave, this is what I want you to do when you go home. I want you to assess your current commitments. What's on your plate right now? Because I'm going to sit here and talk all year about how we need to move pieces around. But if you don't know your pieces, you can't move them around. So I want you to go home and I want you to journal, write it down. What are your commitments? What is your schedule like right now? Why are you doing those things? Assess what your priorities are so that we can re-rack them when we all come together. Amen? Amen. Have a wonderful day, and we're launching Hebrews next week.